here's an opportunity now for us to consider the word together what the bible says and although we're doing david and goliath we're taking a break from that just for this one session hopefully we'll have the last session of that next week live but today i want us to look at psalm 3 together it's something that the lord has laid on my heart as i've been reflecting this week on what to bring uh, and and so i feel this is a word for us as a congregation psalm 3 look i'm going to i haven't got the powerpoint obviously this this morning but i'm going to just do an illustration and i want you to imagine what this illustration uh, posture of mine now illustrates look something like this uh, i don't know if you saw that very well <laughs> okay it's a picture of despondency and you know, I me laughing and smiling and talking about despondency it's it's a picture of despondency and look despondency is look it's uh, here's a definition it's low spirits from loss of hope or courage it's a state of being in low spirits because of loss of hope or courage it's something that any one of us can face it's something that we're confronted with here in Psalm 3. It's from David's experience. It's something that he's right in the middle of just now. Is it's The context is he's is, is fleeing from his son, Absalom, who's trying to kill him, trying to assassinate the king. David has fled. He's left his palace. He's left the city. He's crossed the Jordan and he's hiding out in fear for his life. And so in threat, in very real danger, very present danger, David is despondent. It's what we see in this psalm. He is of low spirits because he's lost all hope and lost that courage that defines this fellow. You see, despondency can do that to you. It's stealthy. It can creep upon us unseen and it can completely reverse our mental state, our condition. We end up imagining, as we see, as we'll see David uh, does here, uh, that, that everything is against us, that nothing's going right for us, uh, that that death is possibly looming, that nobody understands us, that it's the world against us and we're all alone. Our situation is hopeless. We must give up, give in. And we may end up crying, stop the world. I want to get off those are marks of despondency i guess we've all been there maybe we're there now and maybe this is a message for us today or even one for the future remember david is the great type of jesus and so as we look at him he'll be pointing forward pointing us forward to jesus and so we'll be doing that constantly in this psalm it's relatively short but in the short psalm, we're going to travel, we're going to journey with David, and we're going to go from the, the depths of the slough of despond to the heights of the, the stratosphere of faith and hope, all in the matter of these uh, few verses, and in about half an hour or so. So come with me. Uh, we're going to begin the psalm. Right at the beginning, we have this inscription. Those titles normally in the big. Uh, the top of chapters are, are editorial added for us to understand what's going on. But in the Psalms, in this one at least, 
that are part of the original uh, text of the Bible. This is a Psalm of David, we're told, when he fled from his son Absalom. And so it's the first of, the, of a group of Psalms from 1 to 41. So we're missing a couple in the middle. Uh, where, where, where these are all written, this block written, sung by David. So firstly, in verses 1 to 2, we have the scene. The scene, okay? And in the scene, here's our heading. Point number one. A despondent soul. A despondent soul. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Selah. As we said already, David's on the, on the run. The net result of fleeing for his life, having to abandon everything, not knowing if he'll see Jerusalem again, his home, his throne. Here is a soul who's utterly dejected, despondent. This is the king of Israel, God's anointed. Remember, he's the, the slayer of Goliath. But here, in Psalm 3, at the beginning at least, he's beaten down, utterly, utterly despondent. Here's some of the detail. Look, he's facing the rise of the rising tide of disloyalty. We're told in 2 Samuel 15, that gives you some of the context here, that a messenger came and told David that the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom, his son. Hence verse 6 of this psalm, he goes, look, I will not fear the tens of thousands. There's a, there's a huge, maybe, maybe that's an inflating number, but it's certainly a huge uh, onslaught of people who have, who have uh, swapped sides. And so this, these superlatives are used in the psalm, negative superlatives. And he's facing the rising fear that God has withdrawn from him. 2 Samuel 15 gives us some of that background. He tells Zadok about look what to do with the ark. And then he says, this gives us some, some insight, a, a preview of what's going on in David's heart. He says, and if he, God, is not pleased with me, it's what he fears, then I'm ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. And so hence in verse 2 of the psalm, many are saying God will not deliver him. There's this gnawing fear you see within David's soul within his heart where he believes he fears that God has abandoned him the, the wider context of, of, of the psalm you see of, of Absalom pursuing him trying to assassinate him is the crisis has come out of that episode with Bathsheba and Uriah her husband and so David fears the worst. He fears that God in his judgment has given up on him, abandoned him, left him. And so we have an utterly despondent soul. And this is the David of 1 Samuel 17. We're looking at that, aren't we, in a little mini-series together. There, if you recall, freshly anointed with God's Spirit. It was the army of Israel. It was Saul that was despondent, that was down in the dumps, that was fearful. David, David, we were told in 1 Samuel 17, 46, 
This is how he speaks. Look at the rhetoric. This day to Goliath, to that, to that, to that awesome enemy. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. Okay, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air. <laughs> Boy, pretty gruesome stuff, isn't it? But now, however, that same David of chapter 17. Okay, we're told. Look at the look at look how we can only now see Goliaths everywhere. How many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying, Selah. And a Selah there means to pause and to think of the gravity of what's been said. See, that's emphasis to his to to the hopelessness that David feels of his circumstances. A despondent soul. And so we ask, don't we? We ask, what's the real issue here? Because the truth of the scripture is, and, and, and all of scripture supports this, God has not abandoned David. He hasn't taken his spirit away from him. There's nothing in scripture to suggest that. It's not that God has abandoned David. Is that David has lost sight of God. When he faced Goliath, he saw God and not Goliath. When he faces Absalom, a far, far lesser person, far less formidable, he sees Absalom, not God. That's why he's despondent. Do you remember that episode when the disciples are in the boat? Jesus has sent them off whilst he sees the crowd and they travel across Lake Galilee through the night and there's a storm and they're struggling to roll and get the boat to shore. And in the middle of the night, early hours of the morning, Jesus comes to them in the middle of the lake, walking on water. They're in shock. They're, 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 they're stunted because of the shock. All except Peter, who 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 can... Who, who calls out to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, if that is you, then call me out. Call me to yourself. I mean, who does that? <laughs> who does that? All the others are frightened, fearful, awe-stricken, and Peter wants to walk to Jesus in a storm, on water. But Jesus says, come. And what does Peter do? We know the story. Peter got out the boat. Crazy guy. Got out the boat walked on water came towards Jesus we told in Matthew 14 then Peter got out of the boat walked out on the water and came towards Jesus but when he saw the wind he was afraid and beginning to sink he cried out to Jesus and Jesus says later why did you doubt you were doing so well what Jesus is saying is why did you take your eyes off me why did you look at the waves? Why did you redirect your focus? It was when Peter stopped looking at Jesus and began looking at the circumstances, the waves, that it led to fear and to him sinking. Hey, Christian, our despondency, if we are in that, if we find ourselves in that, can inevitably be traced back to that moment when our focus on our gaze ceased to be on Jesus.
It's when we began to not see Jesus, but Goliaths. And Goliaths everywhere. Goliaths in our circumstances. Goliaths in, in, our, in, in our environment. Goliaths. When we began to feel alone, that we'd up against this by ourselves. When God was no longer with us, or we'd offended God, or we put off God, or we'd done something to deter Him, and He'd left us. And when we felt utterly alone, and the important thing is that we just felt alone. Not that we were alone, but we felt alone. When we tethered, untethered our sight and our vision from Jesus that we lose that's, that's when we lost or we lose a proper perspective of our circumstances that's when we see only problems that's when we see only mountains that's when we see only giants that's when we see only Goliaths when we cease looking at Jesus here's a solution Christian however great the Goliaths in our lives we have Jesus. Remember, David is pointing to Jesus. However big that Goliath was, the army, Saul even, the king, had David. We have Jesus. We have Jesus. We have God on our side. Romans 8. Well, what then shall we say? Romans 8 verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The point that is, nobody could possibly be against us if God is for us. I wonder, I wonder if we've forgotten that. If God is for us, nobody can possibly be against us with any, with any power, that is. And Jesus, remember, remember these words? Jesus is with us. Matthew 28, 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Hey, however far we may feel from Jesus, whatever it is we may, may feel we've done, his promise cuts across whatever sensations we're experiencing, whatever we may think we've done, whatever our reality may appear. Jesus' words there in Matthew 28 cuts across whatever our circumstances he has never left you he will never leave you get your sight your eyes back on Jesus that's the scenario look that's the longest of our headings the rest will be much shorter and there's a few to come here we're going to look at the antidote the antidote okay where you know we've taken our eyes off Jesus that's most probably the cause. It's almost always the cause of despondency. We're looking at our circumstances. Everything seems too big for us. Everything seemed too big for David. But here's how his situation turned around. The antidote. The antidote. Number two. So our second heading. Assertion of divine truth. Assertion of divine truth truth verse 3 but you are a shield around me O Lord you bestow glory on me and lift up my head the antidote the turnaround for David comes when his sight returns to God 
turns to God, when he believes again that God is with him, it's progressive, it's progressive, but it goes progressively from reassurance to buoyancy to confidence. Just, just, just consider, just consider the positive, the positive light that's dawning on David here, as he begins to look, look positively on his situation. He's gone from God will not deliver him. That's what the people are saying. To verse three, you are my shield, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. God hadn't abandoned him. God was with him, was protecting him, was shielding him from Absalom, from the army, from those who turned against him. And that language of bestowing glory and lifting up his head, it, it means it's that, that glory, bestowing glory, is a restoration. That's what he's speaking about. It's David envisaging being restored to his role, to his work to what God had anointed him for. And then lifting up his head, it speaks of, 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 being, of being raised. It's, it's in contrast, if honour, it's honour. It's in contrast to, to what you would do to an enemy, put your feet on their neck. This lifting of the head is of bestowing, not humiliation, but honour. David asserts the truth that God is with him and is going to restore him. He can only have got that through some divine interchange where God had met with him and David realises now that God has not finished with him but has great things in store. Assertion of divine truth through some form of a, a supernatural engagement, interaction with God. And so Christian, our antidote in our despondency. It's exactly the same. We've already alluded to it. It's seeing Jesus afresh. It's, it's stopping and considering the reality. Jesus hasn't left us. Not at all. We've taken our eyes off him. We began to believe lies. We began to see enemies as giants, as Goliath. Hey, Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We alluded to it earlier. The truth is here. If God is for us, who can be against us? And remember Jesus' words. Okay, again, we quoted them earlier. Again, Matthew 28 here. Surely I am with you. Christian, you need to hear that today. I need to hear that. We need to hear that today. God is for us. Jesus is with us. And so Hebrews tells us, this is how we're to walk. This is the way out of despondency. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That means, that means keep on keeping on. Don't give up. Don't get waylaid. And this is how... Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We've got to look to Jesus. We have to keep our eyes on him. 
the, the, the impact, sorry, the encounter that David had that brought this truth to him, we have through the direct words of God, through the Bible, Hebrews 12, persevere, don't give up, keep moving as you fix your eyes on Jesus. That is the way out of despondency. That is the route out. That is the first rung of the ladder that will, that will, that will zap you up out of it. Fixing our, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Hey, get the Bible out. Shake off the dust. Read the words of Jesus. Declare them. Read them out aloud. Have you ever tried that? Reading the Bible out aloud? Pray them. Sing them. How many songs are there that sing these truths? Get to church. Do you know what? One of the first things to 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 fall to go aside when we're in despondency is getting to church. Get to church. Get to public gatherings. Get to home group, and let these truths resonate in your hearing, and say them, believe them, declare them. Hold on to them. Number three, divine aid sought. Notice in verse four, after asserting this truth, he now returns to prayer. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill, Selah. With his eyes freshly fixed upon God, David, having, having asserted divine truth that he got from God, now finds himself returning to prayer. But this time, not not in, not in despondency. Okay, woe is me! Everything is against me. No, this time with real hope. Look to the Lord. I cry aloud, and He answers me from His holy hill. That holy hill is the holy hill that is left behind. It's Jerusalem. It's where it's where the Ark of God is. It's where the presence of God dwells. And David, with faith, in dwelling up within him. Seeks divine aid, seeks God, and believes that God's answer will come to him from God's holy city. Selah. Think about that. The road to recovery must always lead us, yes, to seeing Jesus afresh, but to pray. To faith inspired prayer. Christian, have you stopped talking to Jesus? Maybe that's where you lost your way. You know when Jesus said these words in his Lord in the Lord's Prayer, in his prayer, okay, um, about praying regularly, daily. The idea there, give us today our daily bread. The idea is communicating, is that prayer has to be ongoing. Look at Jesus' own prayer life. Luke 6, Luke 6, 12. One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spend the night praying to God. In fact, if you do study, and I've had to do a lot of research as I put this sermon together this week. If you do study of, of the times that the Bible tells us that Jesus is in concerted prayer, you realise that that always a great turning points in his ministry where we see Jesus in in deep prayer the same with the apostle Paul his prayer life at, at our great 
turning points in his ministry. And it's why Jesus said to or says to us, ask. Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. 7 and 8, for everyone who asks, receives. In our despondency, having looking, having looked again to Jesus, pray prayers of faith. Ask. Ask God for the impossible. Believe the impossible. Pray them. And keep your eyes on Jesus. Divine aid sought. Number four, divine sleep granted. Divine sleep granted. Now for something completely mundane. I will lie down and sleep. I will wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. David's prayer of faith is initially answered by God by giving him sleep. Sleep. Something mundane. Something so ordinary. And yet, it's God's gift of the first stage in answering his prayer. We had the reading earlier of Elijah. He'd done that incredible thing. He took on Baal and the prophets of Baal and, and, and brought down fire from heaven. Had all those prophets destroyed. You think he's on a high. And yet, when Jezebel threatens to kill him because of what he's done, look at him. This is what he's like. <laughs> when, when he hears 1 Kings 19... <laughs> When Jezebel says, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make you like one of them that you've killed. Elijah, <laughs> the same Elijah from the mountain, was afraid and ran for his life. And cries out to God, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And you know what God does? You know, did you know the response of God? He sends an angel and guess what he gives to Elijah, or what he uh, prescribes to him. Sleep, and food, and drink. Hey, hey, it's what David gets. I lie down and sleep. When David cries out in faith, a commentator writes that David was enabled to abandon his problem to God sleep. The multitude was still there. The army was still there. Absalom was, Absalom was still after him. But David was empowered to sleep and thus to recuperate and rest. We'll see that shortly. Hey, you'd be saying I can hardly sleep when I'm in despondency. I've got a million thoughts buzzing around in my head. I see Goliaths everywhere. I'm going through every scenario imaginable as I sweat on my pillow. And you're talking about sleeping? Who can sleep in despondency? Well, you can't. <laughs> you can't. Naturally. This is something divine. This is something that God gives. David writes about it in, in his most same famous psalm psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters he refreshes my soul this sleep is divinely granted david sleeps in an impossible scenario 
when it's Christian, Christian, it's something that we need to seek God for. When Jesus' disciples were, 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 were facing the onslaught of crowds, relentless crowds who just wouldn't give up making demands. You know what Jesus did? It's in Mark 6, 31 and 32. This, this is what's written. Because so many people were coming and going and they did not even have chance to eat in risk of despondency and exhaustion, Jesus says to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus facilitates rest. In our despondency, we need perhaps, the first thing that we need perhaps, is a good night's sleep. Put your head on the pillow, friends. Pray to God. Assert truths about God. Look Jesus in the face as he were. And put your head on your pillow. And ask Jesus. Whatever the circumstances may still be, ask him for sleep. Divine sleep granted. And as a result of that, number five, fresh confidence for the new days gained by David. Fresh confidence for the new day. Verse six, I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Nothing has changed by the morning. Except that David's had a good night's sleep given to him by God. And he sees with renewed perspective, fresh perspective, everything this morning for David, though the same, seems different, feels just because of sleep. Fresh confidence for the new day. Look, the Apostle Paul wrote, wrote, do not be anxious, Philippians 4, 67. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is, as we cast our burdens upon him, as we seek him, in prayer, in our despondency, we'll be empowered to lay down our heads and find peace and to awake, seeing our circumstances through a new set of eyes. Hey, a good night's sleep given by God as we seek Him in prayer, a good meal, a nourishing meal, okay? And everything may appear differently. The first few steps in God transforming David's reality begin with something as mundane as a good night's sleep, which results in David waking to a wonderful perspective of the day. A whole new perspective, fresh confidence for the new day. I'm going to need to be quick. Number six, we're almost there. And David's renewed hope, this fresh perspective on something that hasn't changed, but a new set of eyes lead to renewed passion for prayer. Remember the, the, the emergency, the crisis isn't over. David just looks at it differently, feels differently about it. And so he, point number six is renewed 
passion for prayer. David rises to prayer again. Number verse 7. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. It's strong language and it's, it's somewhat difficult for us to handle, I know, but we, ha we have to see it in context. It, it, it's more, this isn't so much about God beating up people. This is more about God humbling his enemies and disarming his enemies so that David can escape. The point for us is don't give up on prayer. Even when we may awake from a, from a good night's sleep and a good meal or whatever else it may be, okay, maybe even be good medicine, okay, okay, whatever it is that, that brings us back onto a, a positive perspective of our scenario, the reality may be nothing has really changed and so we need to continue to pray. Keep praying. David says again, God deliver me. This one with great faith and expectation. And this is what I was saying earlier, I quoted it too soon in my sermon, Matthew 6, 11, Give us today our daily bread. When Jesus taught us to pray like that, he was teaching us that prayer has to be ongoing, consistent, regular, daily, hourly. One of the reasons that our clocks chime hourly and even quarterly, the old-fashioned clocks, is because it was a way that, 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 that the religious, the pious of, the old, of, of former days used that as a reminder to pray. Hey, let me ask you, how many times a day do we pray? How many times a week? How many times this last week? Paul writes to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, Rejoice always, pray continually, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't be a fool. Even if you feel better, even if things look better, even if faith is renewed, don't be complacent, Christian. Pray without ceasing. Pray through, right through it, to the end. And then pray beyond. Pray when you're out of it. Pray when you're in great times, in, 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 in expectation that you'll need that prayer down the line. Renewed passion for prayer. And lastly, and I'm going to try and wrap this up very quickly. Lastly, renewed faith for divine intervention. Renewed faith for divine intervention. Verse 8, from the Lord Comes deliverance, says David, sings David. May your blessing be on your people, Selah. The new day has brought renewed hope, but it's caused him, it's, it's led to him praying more. And that has led to this great expectation, great hope that God will deliver him from the Lord comes deliverance. This is, this is historic. He's looking back. Maybe remembering what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Okay? The Lord did deliver him from Goliath. Did give him a great courage to face him. And did ensure that he had the victory. And David has seen that many, many, many times. And so, and so here he is. Faith reignited. David is now convinced. This is no longer a man who's despondent. But a man who's now soaring. He's convinced from the Lord comes deliverance. Selah. 
This is the David we know. That's the David that I'm going to preach, God willing, next Sunday, okay? That's the David that we love. The David of 1 Samuel 17. This day, God's going to give you into my hands. Listen to verse 8 of the psalm. From the Lord comes deliverance. And it continues. May your blessing be on your people. Uh, this is a sure sign of someone coming out of despondency because this is... Thanks, birds. <laughs> Boy, I don't see those very often. I think that's those honeydew ones, black with yellow bits. Beautiful little birds. I hardly see them. Thanks, guys. Let me get back to my sermon, okay? Where was I? Okay, look, this is a sure sign of the, uh, uh, coming out of despondency. Is that, that was for you, Graham, by the way. This is a sure sign of uh, those, someone coming out of despondency. He's no longer just focused on himself, okay? He, he sees beyond himself. He's now thinking of the nation, of the people that God had put, given him charge for. He sees the bigger picture. May your blessing be on your people. David is envisaging being back on his throne and, and taking charge of his people. Not just deliverance for him, but for the nation. Here's God's word to us, friends. And I'm, I'm going to close. I'm going to close. Romans 8, 31 to 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who, will, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, writes Paul, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the futures, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> That's something that Don Carson, one of my favorite preachers, would say. Okay, look, renewed faith in divine intervention, intervention, Christian. Believe Jesus, okay? Believe him. Be in his word. Let his word sink into your heart. Allow his spirit to move in on you, in you, in every part of your heart and soul and see what he will yet do with you and through you and within your faith community. I quoted this last week, Mark 5, 36. Don't be afraid any longer. Just believe. So the journey, it looks something like this. The journey from faith, sorry, from despondency, utter despondency to faith and hope comes along this route. It's asserting the truth about God, verse 3. It's seeking divine help, verse 4. It's doing something so often as mundane as sleeping or taking a medication or eating food, verse 5. It's receiving fresh confidence on the moral, looking at our situation through the perspective of God's word and faith, verse 6. It's renewed passion for prayer, verse 7. It's never giving up praying. And verse 8, it's renewed faith in divine intervention. It's believing and holding on to God's word. 
for you and to you. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Amen. The Lord be with you.